Geddon. I'm Cam Smith. And I'm Tony G. And we're here to talk about Dun 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 Twins. Ah, there's two of us. <laughs> That's pretty much the joke of twins. <laughs> yep, yep, it sure is. <laughs> and uh, you know, we're we're here this week to do motions in the exact same simultaneous motion that yeah. uh, the characters did. Yeah, right now we're both scratching our heads. <laughs> Picking our ears. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 No end of yucks over here. It's just constant hijinks through and through. Tony, I don't know about you, um, but this is a movie that I recall in the 80s and 90s played on like the TBS broadcast system or whatever it was called over and over and over again. Like this was one of those movies that played endlessly. Yeah. There was no shortage of twins in no. the 80s and or, the 90s. Or in my heart. Ever, really. I mean, it was pretty much Beastmaster followed by Twins was the order at which these movies were being played in the, on public television. Yeah, and then James Bond movies once a year. Yeah. Do you remember the first time you saw Twins? Uh, I do, actually. I was I was at home, and uh, it was on Super Channel. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. Uh, those, uh, it's like the Canadian HBO. Yeah, exactly. You know, you generally pay a subscription fee, you get a series of uh two to two and a half star movies and <laughs> twins was one of them now were you a fan of this movie growing up uh i remember as a kid thinking it was really funny uh, but i don't know if i'd call myself a fan i didn't buy like the twins trading cards or anything like that Did, were you a fan of twins okay i don't remember the first time i saw twins i think I don't think this was the first Schwarzenegger comedy I saw. I think I saw Kindergarten Cop first. Okay. Um, but I do have vague memories of my family renting twins somewhere along the line. And I watched it. And I believe I probably watched it like three or four times on TV after that. It was not a movie that I was obsessed with, like your Predators or what have you, of the Schwarzenegger films. But... I have nothing but fond memories of twins. I know what you, I know what you mean, and not only that, but I feel like I remember everyone else loving twins. Yes, the world <laughs> loved twins. It turns out that's not actually the case. Though. No, and I actually became petrified to revisit this movie <laughs> when I was doing some research in advance of you know getting together to record this episode, and I was like, well, I'm, you know, I'm sure that the twins you know, was loved by critics everywhere back in the eighties. Roger Ebert liked it. Roger Ebert gave it like a three-star rating, but like on Rotten Tomatoes, it was not particularly well-reviewed. And when I did some digging further, people were really not on board with Twins that year. Or like Twins was not the phenomenon that the world fell in love with that I thought it was. Yeah, I mean, I did the same thing. Normally, you're a little bit better at digging than I am, but I uh, it was a pretty shallow grave for Twins, me, when I was doing my <laughs> research before this. Cause yeah, yeah. I was scared about reading what people had to say about it, to be honest. Yeah, I was actually depressed because <laughs> I looked it up and I, in my head, I'd always thought that Twins was viewed as like Arnold's great comedy and that he was always chasing that level of greatness with Junior and, um, and Kindergarten Cop, which were, you know, 
well, Kindergarten Cop was a hit, not so much uh, Junior. Uh, but I remember critics didn't really care for those two movies. But in my mind, Twins was always the critical darling. And I was shattered to find out that was not the case. Like, I literally did a double take. I thought it was going to tune into Rotten Tomatoes and see, like, an 80%. And I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And I feel like as Twins aged, uh, when Junior came out and Last Action Hero and Kindergarten Cop, I yeah. feel like the critics were also fondly comparing yeah. uh, Twins to these movies. I feel like I was reading reviews of Jingle All the Way, and they were like, you know, this is no Twins. <laughs> That's right. So, <laughs> and you know, I, there's been so much talk over the years, and we should talk about this maybe later in the show, but about this sequel called Triplets that's been in the works since 2012 with Eddie Murphy joining them as the third brother. And that'll never happen. I, they say it could shoot this year. So I don't know. I don't see why it should. But I always assumed because they were always talking about this movie that, well, they want to make a sequel to a beloved, critically acclaimed favorite. I didn't realize that Twins was not that loved. <laughs> yeah, I'll be surprised if Triplets ever gets made. Um, it shouldn't. Yeah, I'll, the, there's more likely to be a Pluto Nash sequel <laughs> than uh, than Twins. So, Twins is an interesting look at 1988. Um, interesting. It's like a 1988 look at 1988. Yes, very much. But I was looking at the box office for the movie because I'd heard Arnold talk about how this was the most profitable movie he ever made. He made more money off Twins than anything else he did. You know, whether it's your Terminators or what have you. I find that hard to believe. It's because he did the movie for free and took a back-end deal. And Twins paid off huge. Twins made $112 million domestic. And this is in 1988. Like, $100 million is a big deal at that point. Yeah. Plus it did another... Um, it's a big deal at this point. That's right. It did just over $100 million um, overseas for a combined total of 216 worldwide. Its budget was $15 million. And so it was all money coming out the back end of that. And then you tie into that all the video rights. And you know it was being shown on TV over and over and over. So like they were making a fortune off Twins. And that's not even counting the action figure licensing. <laughs> and sleepwear sets. <laughs> that's, that's, we won't get into the Twins sleepwear just yet. But there, there's a lot of it in the film. But I decided to do a little bit of a dive on 1988 in film because... Twins is a big hit, and it was fifth for the year. But I looked at the top ten. I'm going to read it out. And look at how many high-concept comedies are on the top ten for the year of 1988. Is Twins a high-concept comedy? Yeah, definitely. I think so. Yeah. Um, Reaching for the stars. <laughs> but listen to this year. So number one, you had Rain Man, $173 million. Now, that's not a comedy, although it is a, a drama with a lot of comedic moments. And it has a lot of that fish-out-of-water humor that you see in Twins. And it also has a violent game show. Obviously, like The Running Man. <laughs> but, it, you know, it was followed by Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Uh, and then Coming to America, the movie Big with Tom Hanks. Then you had Twins. And then Crocodile Dundee 2. Die Hard, Naked Gun, Cocktail, and Beetlejuice. That was a big year for comedy. Yeah, like people wanted to laugh. You know what? And this was right in the heyday as well of both. Danny DeVito was uh, cranking out films at this point. Yeah, what this, is this like two years removed from uh, Ruthless People? I can't remember if he had just either done Ruthless People or it was coming up. War of the Roses, I think, was a little bit after this. The year after, yeah. Um... Just trying to think what he had just just done before the throw, um, throw mama from the train. Yeah, yeah, that was a big hit. Uh, he did 
I think Jewel of the Nile was a few years earlier. Romancing the Stone was eighty four. Yeah, Jewel so. of the Nile, Romancing the Stone. So he was he was producing a lot of films right now, literally producing, but also acting in a lot of right, films yeah. right now too. He was still a few years away from Renaissance Man, though. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Well, it was only a few years away from uh, producing Pulp Fiction, actually. Yes, that's true. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, this same year, Twins comes out, makes his fortune, but. You know, uh, Stallone re- releases Rambo 3, a movie referenced in Twins, and it only makes $54 million. So it makes less than half of what Twins does. Well, Twins was a Goliath at the box office. People wanted to see Danny DeVito and Schwarzenegger in matching suits. Which I think speaks a little bit to the to what the 80s were like. Uh, especially the the suits themselves were... I mean, I guess that's what people were paying the bucks to see. I guess. Like... And I remember um, the marketing campaign would have posters of Danny DeVito, but it would bail his name as Schwarzenegger above him. Like, that, that was the joke. Like, that's I, right. I had actually, I'd totally forgotten about that. Like, it was I, a genius marketing hook. Mm-hmm. I mean, who knew that twins would be such a wonderful invention? Yeah, it was like um, they somehow managed to stretch this gag out to 147 profitable minutes. <laughs> Funny moments? Um, well, they're 147, <laughs> laugh a minute. <laughs> so, this movie, I think, while we maybe weren't in love with it growing up, we had nothing but fond memories of the movie Twins. The world loves it, it seems. Tony, what was it like revisiting this movie? Well, I think you know what I'm going to say here, Cam. Uh, we were talking about before we watched Lock it, and load. <laughs> and what I, should, what I should add, I know that... Uh, you loyal listeners out there already know this, but, um, our format is generally, we expect you to have watched the movie. You don't have to, but we are going to be talking about it. And some of our references may go over your latent twins head if you haven't watched it in a while. Uh, and we certainly are going to be spoiling it for you. Definitely. So, so, uh, spoiler alert, twins isn't very funny. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, uh... And maybe it's a prejudice of mine against comedies, as I find that they don't they don't age well. You know, to say that, yeah, you know, comedies I find they tend to have about a five year, maybe ten year lifespan, and unless it's a real classic, yeah, then they just uh, well, like a movie like Wayne's World has really endured, for example. You know, from like 91 or 1990, whatever it was. But like, you you are right. Like, a lot of the comedies of years past just don't hold up. Especially if you're going to show them to a new viewer. Well, and that's the thing. I actually don't know. I mean, you're saying that now. Yeah. Um, you know, you were a teenager when Wayne's World came out. Right, yeah. I- I'm wondering if you were to show it to... I don't even think I was a teenager. I think I was like 10. Was it that long ago? Yeah. Um, But if you were to show it to like, uh, you know, a 15-year-old now, would they would they look at you as if... You were like an old man showing them Victor Victoria. <laughs> I mean, maybe. I, I feel like one of the key things that make comedy movies last in terms of working is um, like energy. And I think, for example, like I'm not going to say everyone sits and watches Marx Brothers comedies these days. But I think if you put them on for a young person, they would at least be able to watch them because they are very fast paced and high energy. And I feel like a lot of the comedies that have that continue to work for people have a really fast joke ratio. Like, even if the joke doesn't work for you, maybe the next one will. And it just keeps it brief to the point and rushes through to a certain degree. Like, I think there's a reason a lot of, say, like, um, 
Lethal Weapon. Not Lethal Weapon. <laughs> hey, I like Lethal Weapon. I, I love Lethal... Naked Gun, you're saying. Yeah, yeah from, Naked from, Gun. From the same year as Twins. Yeah, like, I think yeah. Naked Gun is held up. I was even going to say, like, like classic Warner Brothers animated shorts, I think, hold up to like, a certain degree. Like the villain? If you haven't if you haven't listened to the villain, and judging by our download numbers, uh, there's a good chance of that. But we, have, we did an episode about the villain, which yeah. is a shorts, an early Schwarzenegger film, which is pretty much a... Uh, a long Warner Brothers short. Sure, but a but, bad one. But yeah, not very funny. But, yeah, yeah. but the shorts themselves, I hear what you're saying. But you know what I mean? Like those types of comedies are airplane. I think I don't like a lot of the airplane references would go over kids' heads now, but I think they would be able to watch it because the energy is so high. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. Um, but it, it's tough for a comedy. Or if they just have a great story. Like the movie Big, I don't think it's a laugh a minute movie. Um, but I think people might like the hook of it. Like, I think it has a sweetness and like a, like, like there's sort of that wish fulfillment element. I think there's something fun about it. Careful then. When was the last time you watched Big? <laughs> I watched it a few years ago on a bus in Australia. Okay. Well, that's all right. I'm always wary of that where you're like, oh my God, I, Big is the greatest movie ever made. But I'm not going to say it's the funniest. Yeah, I yeah. don't know if I would find it that funny now, but I think it's a good movie. Yeah. And I've seen comedies like that where I sat through and went, well... I'm not really laughing, but this movie's really, like, it's really endearing to watch. Yeah. Well, I mean, anyways, that's that's what I found. I mean, Twins is not a bad movie, and it's, you know, if you can kind of put a, put yourself in the DeLorean and take yourself back to 1988. Put uh, on a tan suit. Yeah, you think, oh, you know what, this this is kind of funny, but... Uh, is far, it? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, obviously, the critics didn't think so back then. But you know, it's it's really not that funny. Um, it's not unwatchably fun. Uh, but I don't think I laughed really hard at once in the whole movie. You know what I mean? Do you think this movie would do like well now? No. Yeah, I don't think so either. Uh, I mean, not the way it's. I mean, it was kind of marketed as a, almost an adult comedy, maybe a family comedy. Sure. Uh, it's not family friendly. Not really. I watched it with my parents though as a kid. I don't know. Uh, you know, I mean, you wouldn't want to play it for young kids, I guess. There's a lot of shooting and yeah. uh, and butt grabbing going on. Yeah, but you know, not may- at the same time. I think maybe if you marketed this as like a like a more of a children's movie, right? It, it might be. You'd have to cut out all the Kelly Preston stuff, <laughs> a lot of it. Yeah, or you know, marketed in a little bit of a different way. Maybe who knows? Right. But as, you know, if they just re-release Twins right now, I can't really see that having much success at the box office. Right. You? Yeah, well, I should say, I mean, revisiting this movie for me was weird. And that, yeah, like, I had fond memories. And I, I sat there through this movie for about almost two hours. I don't think I laughed once. Um, I heard you chuckle. I kind of, like, smiled a couple times. Um, but... It's not a very funny movie, and I think that's something that I've run into a couple times revisiting or visiting 80s comedies. Like, the other day I watched Back to School with Rodney Dangerfield, which I know is, like, really popular. And I, like, didn't find it that funny, but I would sit there and be like, everyone seems like they're having a really good time. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how I felt with Twins. Everyone looked like they were having a really good time making that movie. And I guess, like, you know... Part of me thinks that 80s comedies were very much about going and just being like, everyone's having so much fun. And I'm having fun because I'm sitting here watching them have fun. 
And that's how I feel like this movie works. Because, you know, if you compare it to something like the comedies we see nowadays, like a lot of the Apatow films or whatever, like just the level of jokes being given to the audience is so high. And you watch this movie and you hope for a scene where there's like a funny, like a really, really, really funny moment. But they don't really come. And that's very, it's not just Twins that does that. A lot of the 80s comedies do that. Mm-hmm. They tend to err on the side of sweet. Yeah. I mean, I feel like a lot of the comedy comes from characters just being really, like, hyper. Like, Danny DeVito is just running around acting all manic and wacky and, like, getting angry. And, like, that's the joke. Like, he's not actually saying things that are that funny, usually. And same with, like, Schwarzenegger. Schwarzenegger just plays really naive and kind of goofy. But he's not being given dialogue that's really that funny. And maybe that's where the comedy lies, I guess. I mean, with Schwarzenegger, he was, what? Two years before uh, Terminator 2? Three years? Three years, yeah. And he was coming off of, you know, a series of his 80s mega hits. Yeah, this was right after Running Man and uh, Predator. That's right. And you gotta wonder, I mean, maybe that's the comedy of the, this that we're not getting. That the of what the audience was seeing was what a good guy Arnold was. And right. how sweet and naive and not killing everyone in sight. Like that, I feel, was what sold tickets. Was people showing up to see... Like a kinder, gentler Arnold. Like, my parents really enjoyed this movie, and they were not running out to see the other Arnold movies. I don't know if that's going to get your film you know, file well, yeah, yeah. in the Library of Congress there. <laughs> Approved by Cam's parents. <laughs> but it, it is an odd movie to revisit. Like, it does feel very much like being transported back to the 1980s in a weird way. Actually, that's one thing. I mean, even if you take out the comedy yeah. part of it, which is very 1988. Yeah. Uh, it's more like just situations that are kind of fun. The number of little small non sequiturs that just say 1988 in this movie. Like, yeah. even if you didn't know this movie was made in 1988, yeah. you would know it. And we yeah. talked um, a few episodes ago about Running Man and how gloriously 80s that movie was. Like, it, it really embraced it, and because it was so embracing that gaudiness of the 80s, it's still kind of weirdly timeless and goofy and fun and campy, whereas I don't feel like Twins, uh, it, it pays off as well. No, I mean, you get to see Danny DeVito talk on a car phone. Yeah. You get to see women smoking in a grocery store. Yeah, that was kind of funny. You get to see, uh, apparently, every skirt, dress, and blouse... Well, yeah. I guess not the skirts, but every dress and blouse uh, was cut with a low top in 1988. Certainly, right. certainly in the movies. Yeah. Uh, the I, I mean, the hair. How do they even get through doors? And like uh, Danny DeVito has that awful ponytail, and I just remember <laughs> that era of guys having ponytails a lot. You know, it's just it's very 80s, and like yeah, the clothes. And there's the scene, of course, famously where they wear the matching tan suits, but they also have these like glasses that look like 3D glasses. That's right. He, Danny DeVito gets, I think it's aqua velvet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Secretary. And it's this type of stuff that I think people would, like, they would find it really funny in the 80s. But I feel like people now would just laugh at them. Like, think it was just like they look ridiculous. Or Whereas in the 80s, I think they were supposed to be kind of cool. Yeah, or, you know, I mean, nowadays people would be like, oh, you're doing a tan suit flash mob or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, it, it is it is interesting how embracing a decade can age one movie and make another one feel like it still is kind of timeless. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's just the fact it's a comedy. But, you know, 
what did you think of the plot of this movie? Because that's, you know, 80s movies had really weird plots a lot of time that involved criminals. <laughs> this was a very bizarre yeah. plot. I mean, it's certainly serviceable for what they wanted to do. Sure. I mean, how do you make Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito twins? Right. And the answer is, of course, science. <laughs> okay, let's take a pause here. Let's talk about this experimental scenario that created Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito. Why were they doing this? They were trying to create the greatest human uh, of all time. Why? And who was doing this? Uh, they went to a... I mean, maybe we were watching a different movie cam, but I thought they explained it all very well. They well, they explained it, but I'm serious. Like, Why would they do this? Why would mankind decide to do this? Because the 80s was a very optimistic time. Was it? I think so. I don't really know. And they wanted to you know, raise us all up. A world of a world of Arnold's by creating like this eugenics creature. I I guess so. <laughs> like, it's a little. It is a little Orwellian, a little bit uh, like Aldous Huxley, but uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe it will work. Maybe we maybe we should all be born in blenders. Maybe there is some weird shades to this movie if you really think about it, though, where it's like this Austrian man being produced by genetic experiments. Where you're like, uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know about this. That's true. I didn't. I didn't really. Yeah. Think I didn't. I didn't really put the uh, um, Nazi scope on it the way sure. you just have. I mean, I don't. I'm not. I don't think that's part of the movie. But it's something that you kind of mentally start to make the connection of. Of like, wait a second, it's a little strange. Yeah. Although the movie did have a positive message uh, that you know, really, what's more important. Over nature is nurture. Yes. And they drilled that into our faces over and over and over again. And then they picked up a big book on biology and slammed us in the face with that it. That was definitely the theme of the movie. Did you feel like this theme was well explored? Uh, I thought it was... If it was any more explored, uh, <laughs> it would have come with a map in the DVD. That's true. But let's get back to the plot. So, you know, you have... You know, Arnold, raised on this island, rowing away to meet his brother. They're reunited, and of course the brother is embroiled in crime. Because in the 80s, if you were in a comedy, you were embroiled with criminals. Like, at some point, there would be a face-off with a man with a gun. And it's like, what was uh, with that? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, why couldn't they have just made Danny DeVito, you know, maybe he wasn't super successful. He was like a hot dog vendor or something like sure. that. Sure. You have this uh, character named Webster, who's played by Marshall Bell who's this guy with a silenced gun who's pursuing them the whole movie. But he's not even, like, a character. Like, he's not interesting. Yeah, he, he was... He wasn't the best cast in this film. Like, why would you not cast, like, a really fun comedic actor? Like, why not get someone who's, like, a Saturday Night Live alum and cast them in that role just so they bring energy to those scenes? Yeah, this guy, he looked like uh, somebody's, you know, tired <laughs> uncle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Exactly. And, you know, the whole crime subplot, this is another problem I find with 80s comedies, is they spend a lot of time on them. Like, they really want you to understand the inner workings of this crime scheme, and I didn't really care. Like, I feel like the reason people love this movie is because it's Danny DeVito and Schwarzenegger cutting up. I don't really think they want to spend, like, long time with these scenes of criminals talking about a scheme that I didn't really understand that well. Yeah, well, I mean, Danny DeVito owed someone 
some money. Sure. So he's stealing so, cars. So we understand that part. Yes. Uh, and then there's this, you know, that's the petty crime side of things. Sure. Uh, then there's the, you know, the grand scheme that he gets embroiled in. Yes. And But he's kind of involved in two schemes. Cause yeah, there was like, a lot of schemes going on. Yeah, because <laughs> the stealing the car, you know, that was kind of just a happenstance. He was actually trying to just get money to pay off the, the mobsters he owed money to. So you had you could have just used the mobsters as your villains through the movie. Yeah, you didn't really need the experimental rocket engine, which was so weird. Because the whole movie, I'm looking at this thing, going like, "What is this thing?" Like, I feel like I should care what it is. I feel like there must have been some part of the script that was cut out. Because yeah. otherwise, you know, why would you make it an experimental jet engine? It was yeah, fuel injection system. Yeah, I mean that seems to be. To be the the strangest MacGuffin I think I've ever seen in a film. <laughs> and you are supposed to somewhat care about it. Because this character of Webster is chasing them the entire movie for it. Well, he was chasing them for the money. Well, that's true. Although, ultimately, he killed the guys who wanted the jet engine and then tried to take the money from Danny DeVito, which makes me wonder, why not just go and take the money from those guys in the first place? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he goes to visit them at one point, and he's sitting there talking to them, and they're like, well, you know, we're going to go with him because, you know, he has it right now. And the guy's like, well, I understand. Why not just shoot them right there and take their money? Yeah, maybe take some extra money. Yeah. Live like a king in their palatial mansion. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. We we shouldn't try and get too far into the psychology of... <laughs> Of Mr. Webster. Of Webster. <laughs> Let's get to the stuff that I think people actually care about, which is the chemistry between Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito. This sold a lot of tickets. <laughs> Did it pay off for you? I think so. I mean, that's one thing that this movie does well, is Danny DeVito is uh, an extraordinarily competent comedic actor. Yeah. Not just a comedic actor. He's an extraordinarily competent actor renaissance man <laughs> stop referencing renaissance <laughs> no one's seen it <laughs> and, and you shouldn't see it yeah don't, uh, they, don't they do a rapping version of hamlet in that i can't remember <laughs> i'm sorry I, I, I didn't do my prep uh, the uh and arnold schwarzenegger who's um you know obviously arnold schwarzenegger yeah and uh they play off each other Pretty well. I, I do have to wonder what Arnold Schwarzenegger was thinking at this point. I mean, it's a good thing that this movie made a lot of money. Right. Because what on earth was going through his mind <laughs> coming off of a string of hits yeah. and then uh, deciding to do a, a comedy with Danny DeVito for free? And apparently they'd wanted to work together for a long time. And uh, they were originally going to work on the movie Suburban Commando together. Which ended up being made like three years later. With Hulk Hogan. Yes, with Hulk Hogan and Christopher Lloyd. That was a project they were circling. At that point it was just called Urban Commando. Um, but then they decided not to do that and did Twins instead. That was I probably a good choice. Yeah, for, with Ivan Reitman. Um but, I mean, I think I agree with you. Like, the chemistry between these two is so strong. I can see why they wanted to work together. They probably knew that they would have a lot of fun shooting the movie. And as I said before, everyone looks like they're having a really good time in this movie. They, sh um, they sure do. They sure do. But what I appreciated about Schwarzenegger in this movie is that 
I think he kind of knew, you know, you're saying why would he maybe do this movie? I think that he must have understood to a certain degree that he was very appealing to, like, kids. Like, there's something about Schwarzenegger that I think kids naturally glom onto. We were big fans when we were, Mm -hmm. you know, before we were even teenagers. I was a big Danny DeFito fan. (laughs) Renaissance (laughs) man wasn't out yet, though. (laughs) I didn't get into Danny DeFito until later. Yeah, 1992. That's right, I got the box set. (laughs) But, I mean... It makes a lot of sense to make a family comedy, although I still... We'll get we'll get back to whether this is a family yeah. comedy. But make a PG-13 rated comedy that the whole family can go to and see an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Like, Arnold was very much, I think, trying to expand his brand at this point because, you know, movies like Predator made a lot of money, but they weren't, like, phenomenons. They were, like, really successful, but they weren't launching him to that next level of superstardom. And, I, I mean, I think Twins did it. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, But, you know, to say that most of the 80s weren't launching Schwarzenegger to superstardom, I don't know. But this was next level. When you're, like, doing $115 I think this was probably his biggest hit at this point in his life. Yeah, you're probably right. And so it did pay off. And I actually think we should talk about his character because I actually think it's very charming to see Schwarzenegger play the sort of naive, friendly character. It's something we haven't really seen before. He's not the badass smoking the stogie and, you know, beating people up. Well, he does beat people up, I guess. But, you know, not but, he's but not politely. the... Yeah, politely. He's not as mean-spirited, I suppose. Um, and I think that's hugely appealing. Like, I actually think this character, while not necessarily a massive stretch for him acting-wise, was a really smart move. Yeah, you're probably right. I mean, certainly it looks like it worked out for him. But you think about it, if you just... Uh, step back from the movie a little bit and you look at uh schwarzenegger generally you know a guy with an unpronounceable last name and a thick austrian accent uh making it to where he had in hollywood yeah and then you look at danny devito uh not exactly leading man material right not but, until renaissance man but becoming a, a serious hollywood heavyweight right <laughs> if you make one more renaissance man <laughs> joke i'm gonna quit <laughs> But um, you, know, you look at these two guys. I mean, they're they're clearly what what's carried their career has been a little bit of charisma. And so seeing them on together, I think it really really works. And I think Danny DeVito works really well when he's a, like kind of in a su- like supporting someone else or bouncing off of someone else. Mm-hmm. That was the case with Ruthless People. Um, again, Romancing the Stone. You see that in War of the Roses. Like he's really good when you put him in a role where he can bounce off another character, especially someone who's a straight man, because Arnold is more or less a straight man in this in this duo. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Although I like how they, uh, even when they're establishing the characters, they establish them both as being kind of inherently charismatic. Yeah. I like the intro to Danny Danny DeVito's character where uh, he's disgraced the biology teacher nun and stolen the library uh, fun money and been run out of the orphanage or run away from the orphanage. Right. Yeah. (laughs) I think it does a good job with especially Danny DeVito's character because he's a really awful human being. It's pretty horrible. But they actually still make him likable and charismatic. Yeah. I've seen so many movies where they have a character written like that, but you just are like, you know, this guy's a creep. But, like, Danny DeVito has that twinkle in his eye. Like, you never quite believe that he's a sociopath. <laughs> he just seems like he's, you know, just needs a slight adjustment, and he'll be a really wonderful guy. Yeah, all he needs is uh, Julius or yeah. julian there yeah even he doesn't know sometimes yeah yeah we, we did notice that danny devito calls him julius and julian at various different points in the movie but yeah all he needs is julius uh there to 
to help him along and give him some brotherly love and he'll be okay. If you ever want to hear him say Julian, watch the scene where they're in the bathroom together and uh, you'll see it there. Ah, uh, yeah, that's something I never thought we'd be <laughs> talking about on this podcast. No kidding, where they aggressively approach the urinal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A scene that drew both, like, confused stares from both of us. <laughs> yeah, it just, it just popped into my mind and it's probably totally not appropriate, but... Sure. Do you think this movie would have been better or worse with a synchronized swimming scene? Oh, that's an interesting... Like Busby Berkeley style or just random? Like they're just in a pool together. I don't know. Like they're in the Olympics. Okay. Like the, this is the new to like twin sequel. Like we're making the 1989 twins sequel, <laughs> I guess so. which are synchronized swimmers. Don't overthink it. Well, you know what? <laughs> they spent a lot of this movie doing things, you know, in unison at the, ex- you know, in the exact same way as all twins do. Um, and uh, you know, I could see something like that. Like it ends with a big synchronized swim match. Yeah, um, over, you know, with piano organ music playing over top. I, f- I believe that was the original ending, but then they, uh, you know, following back to school, they were like, well, we can't follow up that one, which had a diving contest. Yeah, the director's got, <laughs> got more synchronized swimming. Yeah. So, there's two female characters in this, two sisters, who play a hugely oh. prominent role oh, in this you, movie. You call them characters, too. <laughs> well, you know, tell me about the characters played by Chloe Webb and Kelly Preston. Well, you know, they're there. <laughs> they serve as, uh, you know, shrill foils for uh, Schwarzenegger and DeVito's, um, you know, love interests. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, that's about it. It was weird how, like, how these characters had no inner life. Like, nowadays, with characters, you know, people will gripe that they don't know what the character's job is or whatever. Like, these characters are blanks. Yeah, they do work in a diner at the start of the movie, but these people can just drop their jobs on the spur of the moment, and they have apparently no life they have to worry about. It's just like, whatever, we'll follow Schwarzenegger and DeVito on their trip across the U.S. We follow this dirtbag and this stranger. Yeah. Um, I I especially liked how Kelly Preston, it was like, uh, and I don't really, I don't mind at all when there's, uh, you know, a woman like Kelly Preston who's got some legs in a movie. Right. Uh, God bless them. But I felt like they showed her legs so often. I felt like I was being beaten in the beaten sure. over the head with them. Like yeah. I felt like every scene with her in it was just a slow pan up from the ground. And I, I was like, I get it. She's a beautiful woman, and what a match she would be for Schwarzenegger. I, a a I, genetic I, miracle meeting another genetic yeah, miracle. I, I wonder what's gonna happen. Sure. What I found really weird about their relationship, which interestingly I remembered as being the real heart of the movie. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Revisiting it Uh-oh. was shocking, like jaw-dropping. And <laughs> that these characters barely even have a conversation. It's just like her leering at him <laughs> and him just like, go out, go out, go out. It's interesting in that one of the, fir- is it the first time he encounters her? He's holding the Playboy magazine? It is, right? That's the first time he meets her. That's right. That's about right. This relationship is like something you would read in a Playboy magazine. <laughs> Yeah, there's not a lot of depth to it. There is none. And she is just, like, hurling herself at him. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he says anything nice to her. Um, he just sort of acknowledges her presence. Yeah, but, you know, she's like, he's so smart, he knows everything. And, <laughs> and it's uh, like, based on what conversations? <laughs> well, he was talking about how the Egyptians invented beer. But I, I guess if you know one fact... Sure. Um, 
women will throw themselves at you, but... And, like, uh, walk in on you in the shower, like, the second time they've ever met you. On purpose. Yeah, with cookies. (laughs) It's insane. And, you know, I feel like I'm supposed to actually really invest myself in whether this couple is going to work out. And when they turn up at the end, like... Well, they obviously both work out a lot. I know, but do you... (laughs) (laughs) She in Pumping Iron 2, the women. (laughs) Yeah. Starring Kelly Preston. (laughs) But... You are supposed to be invested in both these couples, and we'll get to Danny DeVito and uh, Chloe Webb in a sec, but, like, they feel so lightweight, sitcom-style romances that at the end when they're, I guess, married with, like, twins of their own, I was like, I, I don't know that this relationship was really built to last. <laughs> well, I don't know. That, well, that's the thing, I guess, about uh, both Kelly Press and on Arnold Schwarzenegger, and, and I do this all the time, I should say, Marnie Mason and Julius Benedict. Right. Um, they were just so relentlessly positive both yeah. of them that you, you know you can't really see it not working out so they start you know they seem like a couple that would be fighting over who gets to do the dishes right right okay and yeah. now it's my turn dear you sit down you look tired <laughs> and now what did you think of the relationship between danny devito's character vincent and chloe webb's linda you know i'd like to say it was sweet but it was clear that he was you know like awful a, yeah, that he stole from her. Yeah. Um, you know, would leave town without calling her or acknowledging her. Um, clearly had some kind of a commitment issue, and uh, and was a, like a serial like I, I philanderer. Say, yeah, I guess. A serial philanderer. I was gonna say polygamist, which would take it to a <laughs> whole new level. Yeah. And, but but yeah, I mean. <laughs> you want to see, you want to be happy for them. I guess at the end of the movie you're happy for them, but for most of the movie, I felt like, oh Chloe, you <laughs> poor thing. You're, You've made very you're, poor decisions. You're in, in the cycle of violence. Like <laughs> yeah. escape. You, you, Your sister is telling you wise yeah, advice. F- find someone better. I thought it was weird that um, Kelly Preston's character actually gave a lot of good advice to her sister about Danny DeVito's character. Like she's saying, you know, like you got to get away from this guy. He's a loser. But when it comes to like her relationship with Schwarzenegger. She doesn't seem like she's an insightful personality. Like, you'd think, like, Kelly Preston would be the one who'd be the more, like, the more, like, feet-on-the-ground type. She's been blinded by science. I I guess so. Well, the, um, uh, I mean, come on. I mean, it's clearly she's got a strong physical attraction to Julius Benedict. And I think that's what kind of fogs her otherwise logical brain over. It definitely did. I guess so. But... I guess. I, I just had a lot of trouble. Maybe the problem is as a child, I had such strong memories of these being such accurate real-life relationships that I'm now seeing shattered in front of me that I'm like, oh, this is just very, like, 80s, like, fairy tale stuff. You got to see not only everyone at the end being happy, but they had somehow managed to convince uh, the main scientist who had created Julius yeah. to come over, and it looked like him and their mother had a thing going on. Yeah, what was it that? I, I, I couldn't really figure that out, but... Like you said earlier, everyone looked very happy. Yeah. What did you think of the character of their mother, played by Bonnie Bartlett? This is ultimately the uh, impetus for Schwarzenegger's journey. He wants to track down their mother, whereas Danny DeVito wants to get to Houston to sell off this, uh, you know, this contraband or whatever it is, this jet engine. Um, But, uh, you know, for Schwarzenegger, this is the driving force of the movie. And ultimately, it's where the movie gets its heart, I suppose, or a lot of the emotion is them finding their mother. Um, 
they find her in what I can only call is like a high security art commune. <laughs> uh, yeah, the colony actually. The colony, art, Whispering yeah. Pines Artist Colony. Yeah. <laughs> Where she then pretends to not be their mother because this is that 80s movie like trope where characters don't say things they just like mislead other people you know it's really frustrating that's right and and i will say no no offense or disrespect to bonnie bartlett who played uh old marianne benedict and young marianne benedict was, was played by heather graham yeah i know that was an interesting cameo yeah i wouldn't have caught it if you hadn't pointed it out to i don't me, even actually. think it was a cameo i think it was just like one of her first jobs must have been yeah, yeah. but uh you know, she wasn't super charismatic. I guess it didn't really matter that much. I mean, you no. could have just had a mannequin with misinformation hanging on it, and it would have served the same purpose in the movie. But, uh, you know, it would have been have nice to have somebody with a little bit of charisma in there. Like, somebody you were like, oh my god, they found the, their perfect mother. Yeah, and were you invested in this relationship? Like, in these characters uniting with their mother? Like, do you think you cared about it the way the movie wants you to care about it? Well, not the, not all the way, <laughs> but I certainly understood what they were. You know, Schwarzenegger was motivated by family, which he'd never had. Right. Uh, Danny DeVito ultimately came around. Yeah. To the same side. Yeah. And I got it, and then, you know, and everyone was happy at the end and throughout. <laughs> Are these artists' colonies a thing? Uh well, I've never been to one, but. <laughs> It looks like a crazy place. It looks like everyone in that artist colony is pretty much all uh, painting landscapes uh, within like a thirty-yard, uh, yeah, thirty-yard circumference of one another. Yeah, uh, like you think you'd get kind of bored of painting this, <laughs> the same colony walls every day. I mean, would there be high security at these things? Uh, I don't think so. I wouldn't describe it as being high security. Well, I had security that was very strict. I did, however, I really liked how whoever did the set design yeah. on this film, like they made a point of just scattering around very art-like things around right. the colony. So uh, there was just like a, a potter's wheel out in the yard. Right. Uh, easels everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I believed it was an art colony. <laughs> I believed it was too. <laughs> Called Whispering Pines. <laughs> I don't know what they were whispering. <laughs> Paint me. <laughs> so, we should also talk about another cameo. We referenced Heather Graham. Tony, do you want to throw off to the other big cameo of the movie in our usual segment? Um, spot David Caruso? <laughs> That's not it. Yeah, well, he was in there. Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah. So Spot Maury Chaikin? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bingo! Uh one of the things we like to do on the episode, although I feel like we've been doing it kind of inconsistently. I don't think we've had him pop up in a couple things, though. Yeah, he's not in everything, but we do spot Sven. So Sven Ole Thorsen is one of Schwarzenegger's longtime collaborators, and I assume close friend, because he's in a lot of this stuff. It would be funny if they hated each other. <laughs> it would make it so much more baffling as to why he's in all those movies. I'd like to see a movie about that. Like yeah. A, uh, like a, a biopic about it. Right. So Sven Ole Thorsen, show, he shows up as a as his usual huge guy heavy yeah. uh, in the bar as one of the uh, Klein brothers. Yeah, there's like the three main ones played by 
uh, Maury Chaykin, Tom McClyster, and uh, David Efron. They're in the majority of the movie. Can you really call them the main ones? Because they, they didn't really have a lot to do. They either. don't have a lot, but they are the goons chasing Danny DeVito through the movie. They show up in like three scenes or something, two or three scenes. Yeah, three big guys, and then yes. just, just when you thought there couldn't be more Klain brothers and they couldn't be any bigger, yes. in comes sven Oli Thorson and... Yes. Who's with him, but... Gus Ricewich? Uh, something like that. Who the the guy who played Buzzsaw? Yeah. In uh in the Running Man, which I uh I actually had no idea we were we were going for Spot Sven and we ended up with uh pausing the film and being like, wait a second, is that uh is that uh, Buzzsaw? Yeah. And uh, sure enough, he was. Yeah, yeah. And we so we had Spot Sven and glancing at Gus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, we should say they show up in a scene. That is the pinnacle of 80s-ness. And I think we should like maybe call out some of the 80s moments in this movie. But the 80s-ness of the fight in the country western bar. <laughs> yeah, uh, not to mention the 80s-ness of uh, everyone has a gun, but for some reason uh, fist fighting's going to do just fine. Yes, yeah. And uh, here's another 80s trope that I noticed that drives me nuts. Which is there's always a scene of a character getting angry and driving away and leaving people behind. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's not the same scene, but it, that was in the yeah, film. Yeah, um, There was also the scene of, um, if anybody ever gets hit in the head, no matter how glancing or what part of the head, they will be knocked unconscious. Yes, that's very accurate. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And also in these types of movies as well, in 80s comedies, people will get, like, really beaten up quite badly, but they'll, all they'll walk around with is, a, is like a neck brace. Well, because that, it's funny. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The hilarious neck brace. Yeah, nothing's funnier than a good old wah, neck brace. <laughs> um, we should talk a little bit about the director, Ivan Reitman. We've pretty much skipped over him completely. Ivan Reitman is a director who... He's another heavyweight. He's a heavyweight, but he's so wildly inconsistent. Um, because, you know, he gets, obviously, so much credit for Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters was, you know, really put him on the map and is, to this day, his most enduring hit. But when you look at his filmography, he's pretty hit or miss, really. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, uh, I mean, I don't know if Meatballs really holds water today, but... It doesn't. Uh, I haven't seen it in ages. Um, but, uh, I mean, Stripes, certainly. Yeah, Stripes is genuinely and, good. And yeah. he's, I mean, he did kind of the uh, Schwarzenegger... The Schwarzenegger comedy trilogy if you want to call it that and i will call it that <laughs> with the kindergarten cop and junior as well and we look forward to doing those further down the road i'm sure they'll be hilarious too uh <laughs> but but you go through his filmography you know the movie dave from 93 with kevin klein is really good but there's so much junk on his was filmography that, was that sigourney weaver as well yeah she's in that yeah, 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 yeah. that was a great film but then you see like father's day and six days seven nights evolution my super ex-girlfriend no strings attached you've done your draft research. day <laughs> i mean <laughs> it's pretty bad and ghostbusters 2 is i mean i'm not gonna say it's terrible but it's not one of the great sequels <laughs> It's pretty much just a retread of the first one, <laughs> which really concerns me about the prospect of a triplets movie, which would be the sequel to Twins with Eddie Murphy. You know, Ivan Reitman is, you know, attached to direct it. Do you think that triplets is a good idea? You know, did you think there was some merit to the movie before you rewatched Twins this time? Uh, it seems like a movie that's... Uh... Is anyone beating down the 
studio door demanding triplets right now it seems like a movie that would be destined to fail it does feel like that doesn't it right it's it seems like a movie that's about probably about 15 years too late right because they want to cast eddie murphy as the third brother let's go through this trio arnold schwarzenegger as much as we love him hasn't had a lot of huge hits for quite a while um danny devito ditto and then eddie murphy Eddie Murphy really tanked out pretty bad. Yeah, I, I mean, I, f- I feel like what's way more likely is they'll kill that project and then remake Twins with uh, The Rock or with... No, that's very right. The Rock uh, and... I mean, The uh, Rock seems to be in everything these yeah. days. Who would be a good uh, character to match The Rock up with? Uh, the Zuckerberg guy. <laughs> <laughs> that would be interesting. Eisenberg. Although age-wise, they're pretty different. But, uh... Yeah, you know, I mean, or something like that. Uh I shouldn't call him the Zuckerberg guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, a heavily awarded <laughs> this teamed actor. You're talking about uh, Jesse Eisenberg, of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the new Lex Luthor. <laughs> Correct. Um, you know, who, who, I mean, he has some hits and misses. Just, yeah. Just like The Rock. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think that that has the potential to be much more profitable. I think, especially when you look at the track record of Schwarzenegger movies yeah. and Eddie Murphy movies recently, like in the last five, ten years. like I mean, Arnold couldn't even really get people to come back for another Terminator movie. And he's, I, I don't know if he's still even trying to get uh, a King Conan or a Legend yeah. of Conan movie off the ground. I don't know. And I don't know that Twins has held up for like... The thing is, when you look at a movie-going audience, you want to appeal to young people who have disposable income. Because, like, the, you know, you can put out a trailer for triplets and, for example, my parents might see and be like, oh, we really like the first one. We'll have to watch that when it hits streaming. You know, like, they aren't going to go to the theater. And, mm-hmm. like, you want to get people to go to the theater. No 20-year-old is going to run to the theater to see triplets. Not a lot. No. <laughs> to watch, like, three aging comedians. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's one of those movies that they would have, like, it would be advantageous to release it on the same weekend as a big blockbuster. Yeah. So that people going to see that blockbuster and the theater is full yeah. can spill into the other one. <laughs> Are you shocked, though, in retrospect, that they didn't make a sequel to Twins in, like, maybe the early 90s? I mean, they kind of did with Junior. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's that that's kind of the it's sort of spiritu- a sequel, spiritual yeah. successor yeah. to Twins, and it didn't do very well. No. Right? So I think if... Uh, you know, if Junior had knocked it out of the park, maybe we would have seen a sequel to Twins. Doesn't it seem weird though they wouldn't just try for Twins too? Maybe. Uh, you know, everyone was pretty busy. I mean, Danny DeVito and uh, Schwarzenegger yeah. still in the '90s were 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 busy doing other things. Renaissance man. Stop! <laughs> stop! Stop! <laughs> <laughs> Please. <laughs> but uh, Fifty Shades of DeVito. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean. It just seems so... I mean, maybe it's just we're wired nowadays where everything successful gets a sequel. But I just look at Twins, I'm like, why wouldn't you do that sequel? You know, there's got to be another spin on that. Again, you find a third brother. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you feel like you could crank out a Twins sequel in pretty short short order, right? Yeah. So, now, what do you think about the idea, then, of remaking Twins? Because if a sequel now feels too late, (laughs) coming what... 20, 30, 30 years after the original. I think that's a little late for the sequel. But do you think uh, like a remake of Twins could work? I mean, it could, you know, if it was done right and if it was remade properly and marketed properly. 
But, you know, it would be a shame. I don't really think people are, you know, kicking down Universal's doors being like, twins, 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 we want another one. Yeah. Uh, and, and you look at the, the remakes they've done yeah. that people weren't really clamoring for. Uh, most of them are action movies, actually. Like, uh, you know, A-Team... Uh, I like that that's your go-to is the A-Team. But they did Karate Kid, um, Point Break. What am I, yeah, Point Break. What am yeah. I thinking of? The... Uh, um, Red Dawn. Red Dawn. Red Dawn. Sorry, Red Dawn had totally blocked out everything else in my mind. Right. Or even the Ghostbusters. Remake, sure. Right. Um, None of these things have performed that well. No, they haven't. It's so, like '80s nostalgia is alive and well in a lot of people our age, but they're not necessarily the people running to the theater. Right. And you know, so is Twins gonna, you know, bring in the 19-year-olds? I don't know. Yeah, I don't think so. If the rocks in it, the rock can sell well, anything. Apparently, here's a question: Do you have lingering questions left from twins? Well, I kind of want to know what happened to the other dads. Sure. Yeah, we only saw the one. Um, well, we it... saw them. We saw them early on. That was actually one of the things I wanted to bring up. We've done a lot about talking about '80s comedy, but yeah. but very little talking about the 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 movie. Is yeah. um, I want to know what happened to these other dads because they show them all at the beginning of the movie, and there there's the voiceover saying. You know, we've created him using the best... Like genetic material. Uh, yeah, the best yeah. genetic And then they have like a series of kind of out of shape skinny guys running on <laughs> treadmills. Uh, and it was a very, very strange... Uh, yeah, very strange thing to do because it's not until uh, Hugh O'Brien, who shows up later as like the first dad that they meet... Right. ...that you kind of like, oh yeah, this is a guy that is in really good shape and you could see him being the genetic source material for a Schwarzenegger uh, clone. What I thought was interesting, actually, I'm glad you bring up that character, is he has a line where he's referring to their mother and saying he thought about marrying her. But I was like, wait, but there were six fathers. Like, was he somehow more romantically attached to her? I guess so. Like so there's, there's an unanswered question from that, I guess I do have unanswered yeah. questions then. You I see what I mean sequel. now? Just imagine... What the other six fathers have to say. They can make a prequel called Dads. There's a lot of... Can you, can you imagine? <laughs> There's a lot of yeah. weird scenes, too, of, like, Schwarzenegger being able to, like, predict where Danny DeVito's going to be in points in the movie. Yeah, I guess they have twin telepathy or... Yeah. Yeah, I can't... I was trying to come up with a fun acronym for that, but I got nothing. Um, but, I mean... <laughs> Yeah, it, it, there's a lot of weird, like, again, 80s storytelling going on, where it's like things just kind of happen, it, which is very common. It's not isolated to this movie. <laughs> yeah, no, I did notice there's a few parts where, uh, you know, when the, the heavies show up, the clanes yeah. show up in the country bar, and they're like, well, uh, your boss told us where you were. Right. But I'm pretty sure she had just said all she told her boss is we were quitting yeah. and, and going to... Houston. Yeah, they never said they were going to a country bar at that time. <laughs> no, so it's a very strange thing. For... <laughs> but and, and a lot of the movie goes like that, right? Where um, And maybe it's uh, a conceit or maybe it's just laziness because they did it a few times where they're just like, you know, I've got to find my twin. Right. And then they just he just drives off and it's a new scene. He's at a factory or something. Well, you say drive off. There's a lot of weird car comedy in this too. Of like Arnold driving funny. I tell you, that stuff just falls flat for me. Yeah. I... <laughs> There's a scene where he drives that red car on two wheels, which, I, I mean, the, I, I think with, I would think it was... With the ramp, like, clearly visible. Yeah. still in the frame. I think that I would was... find that more amusing if I hadn't seen it done, like, 18 years earlier in Diamonds Are Forever. 
Yeah, I mean, there's one. If twins were remade today, uh, the car would be uh, computer generated and would do a triple flip <laughs> onto the parkade. You know, I need to get out. I'll teach you some tricks, Danny. Yeah. You know something else that really grated on me term in terms of like the eightiesness, which was the, the score. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> the number of musical montages in this film yeah and that score it's like the same score that uh permeates those like 80s chris columbus movies and like you know, like romantic comedies and feel-good movies yeah just like it's like sickening know, to listen to just incipient piano noodling yeah uh, that that kind of cutting edge organ sound quote-unquote right every time there's like an emotional moment the score starts swelling it's like so manipulative that sort of stuff drives me nuts like yeah that is something i'm happy we left behind in the 80s for the most part yeah exactly you know how the 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 road trip starts off with everybody being kind of angry at each other and then over a series of several piano riffs and guitar <laughs> scenes it gradually shows them becoming closer and closer yeah uh, another element of this movie that was very 80s that um you kind of forget about because it doesn't really happen anymore is these gay panic jokes all (laughs) these elements of characters being worried they're being perceived as gay like that is such an 80s and 90s comedy trope that it's one i've kind of forgotten about because it's been i think cut out of most comedies nowadays but like very like quietly it's not something that's even really acknowledged yeah and and good riddance yeah it's so weird when you watch movies from that era where they're so obsessed with it it's like they're both like guys in their late 30s early 40s you think it's like are you that panicked yeah your brothers (laughs) yeah like who gives a shit (laughs) yeah just it's so weird just relax i guess they were in a country music bar so yeah if, if there is a place where uh where uh you know intolerance is alive and well it's sure it's probably going to be you know in there although they did have jeff beck playing bizarre uh <laughs> 80s guitar riffs on stage there the soundtrack of this movie is pretty amazing i thought once the film was done actually uh it's probably the 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 most important question is that you asked me which was how many people do you think ran out <laughs> And bought this soundtrack. <laughs> I was at a loss. I tried to do some quick research on my phone, but I couldn't find any Twins the Soundtrack numbers, unfortunately. <laughs> well, you remember in those days, people would see a movie they liked and then just go and buy the soundtrack. It didn't really even have to do with whether the songs were that great. You would just buy it because you liked the movie. Like I remember people doing that in the 80s and 90s. Would they even have released this I mean, yeah, I they would have. They would have on a cassette tape. Yeah, like I remember, I had the Dumb and Dumber CD. Why? Because I like the movie Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> I also have the Mask CD. So really, I was all about Jim Carrey soundtracks. Apparently, <laughs> it's just why I don't know. Good movie. <laughs> you know, back in those days, you didn't necessarily own the movie that quickly, so you would buy the score or the uh, the soundtrack album. Yeah, and I guess you would just. Um... You know, pop the tape into your your old cutlass <laughs> and cruise around town listening to the uh, listen to the twin score. Being like, people, I'm all about twins. Yeah. Oh, you have a cassette deck in your car? <laughs> That's cool. Um, there was a running joke I wanted to talk to you about actually that I thought was really lame, which was <laughs> okay, Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger bringing up like what was it the crisis situation running gag 
I didn't understand if it was a gag. I, I, I felt like it was a gag where I, um, like I missed the lead up to it. Right. Um, so you can correct me if I'm wrong. Cause I feel like I missed something. Yeah. Uh, you know, where you're saying the first rule in a crisis situation is such and such. Right. Um, and then that, and then he does that three times in the movie. Yeah. So I feel like I missed the intro to the gag. I mean, whatever it was, it wasn't very funny. Maybe it was cut. Maybe it was cut with the rest of the rocket engine stuff. Sure. <laughs> was there anything you did like about this film? Yeah, like I like the energy of the cast. Like I think the the actors are having fun, and I think they are uh, like charismatic together. Like I like watching this group of actors bounce off each other. I just wish that the movie had a little more like uh really strong humor to it i wish it wasn't just like it's a movie you could describe in quotations as breezy what do you think the best joke of the movie was oh boy you go first because i gotta think about this well i liked uh i thought it was kind of funny where he's gone back to the orphanage and uh and he says oh is this was this my brother vincent's bed (laughs) And the the nun says, yes, how did you know? And he says, well, because it's right near the fire alarm and this is the bed that I would pick so that if there was ever a fire, I could jump up and save everyone in the orphanage. Um, You thought this was the funniest uh, joke in the movie. (laughs) I thought it was a little bit funny. You're really overselling it here. (laughs) Well, I guess when you say it out loud... It's not as funny. I mean, I can say I think the funniest moment for me, it might be shortly after the Arnold and Kelly Preston love scene is the look on Schwarzenegger's face. The afterglow look that Schwarzenegger has is hilarious. Like, that is really good physical comedy. Oh, it's pretty good, yeah. Yeah. Um, Uh, One of the other jokes that I feel like should not be funny, but Schwarzenegger sells it, is him singing that song, the Yakety Yak, which was that song that was in every 80s comedy. <laughs> well, it's it's funny now. Now we've done two episodes in pretty short order uh, because Killing Gunther, there was a uh, Schwarzenegger singing the country song. Yeah. Which we had commented on. And we were like, oh, is this the first time that Schwarzenegger sung? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Um, but uh, apparently not. Right. So that was it. That was the first thing that thought, struck me about like, that. Like, I don't think characters singing loudly is that funny. Um, but I thought Schwarzenegger had so much, like, kind of wide-eyed innocence about it that it was charming. And, you know, interesting little trivia bit. The first scene of him doing that on the plane, that that little scene was shot by Clint Eastwood. <laughs> Come on, really? Who was visiting the set and shot that moment. You're kidding me. You always... I am 100% serious. Oh, you always have way better trivia than I do. And he said to Schwarzenegger... You didn't tell me you were that talented. Really? Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah, you got the Clint approval. But Clint did not catch Schwarzenegger in his Jersey Boys movie. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm wondering, uh, I mean, were there any other actual jokes or gags? Well, I don't know. After that fire alarm by the bed, yeah, there's you... nowhere left to go but down. <laughs> uh, how... Comic gold. <laughs> hey, it was funny. <laughs> Um, I thought you were laughing. Maybe it was just me. I was laughing. Um, I'm trying to be charitable here. We can't right. just talk about what a lousy movie this is. Right, right. Um, but uh, 
What about like the more obvious stuff, like where he, uh, you know, he he gets in the rowboat and he leaves the island, and the and the boat is driving away, yeah, like it's I like, got, that. like it's got an outboard motor. On. <laughs> that, that that was really funny. That I actually recalled very strongly from childhood as being very funny. <laughs> yeah, see, I mean, I saw that, and I, my first reaction was, "Uh oh, it's gonna be <laughs> this kind of a movie." Right. I thought the uh, I actually thought the line where. Um, at 12 years old, Danny DeVito had disgraced his non-biology teacher. That was something. <laughs> I thought that was kind of weird. You would definitely not put that in a comedy nowadays. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it, it definitely <laughs> not, made me laugh. Not a family comedy. No. <laughs> there's some weird stuff, though, in this movie. Like, there's the scene where, like, those muggers try to take Schwarzenegger's suitcase on the motorbike. That's just, like, that's the type of comedy that, to me, does not hold up well. Or like the scene where Schwarzenegger lifts the car to stop the alarm. He had a good Schwarzenegger uh, strained face on Sure, him. yeah. But it's like that type of comedy. It's kind of like the tilting the car on two wheels. I'm like, this is not that funny to me. I can go watch Cannonball Run if I want to see that type of humor. <laughs> <laughs> and to get some good uh, Dom DeLuise. <laughs> hey, Cannonball Run was a great movie. Don't knock it. But it didn't have great jokes like the fire alarm by the bed. <laughs> oh, Sorry, make another Renaissance Man joke there, Groucho. <laughs> you said you liked Schwarzenegger singing. What did you think about the Yakety Yak remix as he got out of the... Uh... Oh, I mean, sure. That's the, But again, 1988. Yeah, 1988, exactly. It's like rap remixes are really popular because that same year you have Die Hard, which has the, what is it, the Run DMC Christmas song. That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so that was all the rage. It was a big time for those. But getting to the resolution of this movie, there is this bit at the end where... It's implied that Danny DeVito kept a million of the five million. Yeah. Like he only turned back the four, right? But we were discussing during the movie, why turn in the five million? Who are you handing it back to? Yeah. I thought the guys who owned the five million were dead. Yes, they were. And even if they weren't dead, they were criminals. Yes. So, yeah, why would you hand it back into anyone? Like, I can understand if Schwarzenegger was like, let's donate it to an orphanage or something. That would make sense to me. But that's not what happens. They apparently hand it back to someone. Again, you, I feel like there was a, a chunk of this movie that hit the cutting room floor. Yeah. And we're never going to know who they gave it back to. Why not give it to the uh, the art community? Or, or why not keep it and give your children the upbringing sure. that they deserve? Your twins. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I was really confused by that. And... What was their, I, I missed it. What was their job at the end? The two of them were now in business in Danny DeVito's old office doing what? I thought they were doing the same thing that... No, because Dan- he was a sports agent before. And a patio wholesaler. Yeah. A patio furniture wholesaler. Yeah. <laughs> that old chestnut. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it wasn't really clear. It just it looked like they were very successful. Right. Although I guess... They were wearing nice clothes. I guess the reason they were successful was because... They'd been given a $50,000 reward. Sure, which in 1988, that's nothing to sneeze at. Yeah, that's right, of which they had $12,000 left. Still nothing to sneeze at in so, that year. So, I mean, I guess they actually weren't that successful because they had managed to, in very short order, lose $38,000. Yes, although Danny DeVito has this $1 million apparently squirreled away somewhere. Yeah, they never really resolved that. They never really resolved that he told his uh, wife... Yeah. Uh, well, it's not clear if they got married. I'm presuming they, they did. They were kind of dressed like they were in wedding dresses at the end, though. 
Yeah, you feel like the wedding scene got cut out as well. Yeah. But the um but you, yeah, they never really established if he told his wife or his long lost brother or if he just kept it and uh you know, fed his substance addictions or gam- <laughs> gambleholism or, or, yeah. or anything like that. Very weird. Very again, very eighties fairy tale. It's like they end up as like happy businessmen. Like mm. who wants to be a businessman? <laughs> Yeah, that's <laughs> that's such an '80s thing where like they would end in business <laughs> in suits. Yeah, I'm like that's not happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, we work hard for our money. Yeah, yeah. I'd rather uh, be at Whispering Pines. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, I mean, maybe they should have ended it there with everybody at Whispering Pines and yeah, is, or, or is in podcasting the... an art form you could do at Whispering Pines. Um, if it is an art form, I've yet to see any artistry in it. <laughs> Or money. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming. I know it. Okay, so just to wrap up the movie Twins, I guess I kind of have a question for you. Do you feel like you're almost betraying the memories of the 80s by not giving the movie, like, glowing notices? Like, does it feel weird to you to kind of bring down the, the hammer a bit on a movie that was so beloved in its era? Well, it wasn't beloved in its era. It was by audiences. I guess so, but... And that's the thing. I, I actually have a real problem rewatching not just comedies, but a lot of these really well-loved 80s movies. Yeah. Like the Dark Crystal. Sure. Labyrinth. Goonies. Goonies is a little shouty. Yeah. Um, you know, there's still movies I like to watch and I like to see, but I do admit it, it does feel a little bit like I'm betraying its memory by talking about it so negatively on a podcast i I, know i feel a little soiled after this i don't feel bad when we like take apart like the villain or something but twins does occupy this weird nostalgic part of me or it used to it used to like that's the thing i'm someone who definitely feels nostalgic about things but i don't have the blind nostalgia like i can't just rewatch them and be like yep still great like, there is that part of me, and it's happened not just with this movie, with quite a few movies in the past, where I've rewatched them and been like, oh, oh, this is not what I remembered. Mm-hmm. And it always, it's always kind of a little bit sad when it happens. And, yeah. you know, I definitely did not go into Twins expecting it to be this unfunny. Yeah, um, I hear what you're saying, and if it does feel <laughs> a little bit like... Like we're airing its dirty laundry on the internet here, or yeah, something like that. Yeah. So you mean it's dirty tan suits? <laughs> yeah. So, so here's I guess the most important thing. Yeah. Is um, if we were twins, sure. which one of us would be Danny DeVito and which one would be Arnold Schwarzenegger? I think it would just be two Danny DeVitos. Two Danny DeVitos. <laughs> that's right. Join us for DeVito Geddon. So would you <laughs> with Renaissance Man? <laughs> oh my God. Would you recommend <laughs> Twins to someone now? No. <laughs> yeah. I, I wouldn't. You know, whether it was a new person or, you know, or I'd give the same advice I do to people who do have a fond memory of it. Yeah. Um, And having watched a lot of these other movies, like the... I actually still kind of like the Goonies, but... Right. Um, you know, the, the ones I mentioned before, like Dark Crystal or Labyrinth or something like that. Yeah. Um... You know, which is, if people are, like, talking about how much they love it, how awesome it is, I'd say keep that memory yeah. alive and don't go and rewatch it. Uh, and, and same thing for a new audience. Uh, you know, I feel like 
for the same reason because someone would come on and I'd be like, that person likes that movie. Yeah. Uh, what an idiot. Right. Um, I mean, of course, anyone who's interested in, you know, the, academically in what 1988 comedy was like. Or, <laughs> right. Or, you know, early comedy era Schwarzenegger, by yeah. all means, feel your boots. But uh, from a, you know, I got an hour and 47 minutes to kill on a Tuesday night yeah. kind of thing. There's probably better things you can fill your time with. Yeah. I think this movie is sort of worth recommending academically is like this is schwarzenegger it's sort of the height of his big comedies Mm -hmm. because let's be honest after this it was mostly downhill although i am well kindergarten Cop. that's the one i'm very curious to revisit because i did like kindergarten cop a lot and frankly i'm terrified to revisit it after watching twins yeah me too actually for the same reason yeah junior and you know jingle all the way well you know the bar is fairly low there so i'm not too concerned but Kindergarten Cop just uh, definitely concerns me. But yeah, I would say Twins is worth watching just to see Arnold at sort of the height of his powers in a, in a comedy, like a mainstream comedy. But I don't think it's that funny, but I don't think it's painful either. I think it just kind of, again, as I said, it's very breezy. Mm-hmm. And it is very, very 80s in, in ways that I think just really <sighs> hold it back. Yeah. Well, the one thing you didn't touch on, and you, and you should because you talked about it earlier, is why this is not a family comedy right yes this movie was way hornier than i remembered it being Mm -hmm. like for a family comedy that i watched with my parents i'm like wow this movie's really inappropriate yeah big time yeah so i wouldn't recommend it to families i don't think sit down with your kids and watch twins yeah the funny thing is it's it's one of those movies that uh you can almost you almost feel like there should be nudity in it there's close close but you know you almost feel like it's like one of those like 80s raunchy comedies right or um there was a period though in the 80s which ivan reitman did a lot of yeah yeah there's a period in the 80s where you could get away with a lot in like pg rated comedies the one that always jumps to mind for me is uh national lampoon's european vacation yeah mine's always police academy okay yeah that's right that's rated r though yeah you're right yeah yeah but like the um, sequels were all pg they are all pg yeah (laughs) But uh, European Vacation has like three nude scenes or something. like, And you're like, really? This was rated PG? You could get away with a lot in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Even though it was a conservative uh, decade, uh, you could get away with a lot. Yeah, but I hear what you're saying about twins where, um, yeah, it's like a lot of sex comedy, but none of the sex. Okay, so I think that wraps up twins. But what are we doing next time, Cam? Well, we are going to talk about Hercules in New York slash Hercules Goes Bananas. I am looking forward to this one. This one's, uh, I think it's his earliest film. Yes, 1969, I believe. I have never seen it. I saw it once uh, ages ago. I maybe saw it uh, 10 or 15 years ago. And uh, I I am looking forward to you watching this for the first time. I'm just really curious going in um, how much Arnold I really get out of it. Because I know he's dubbed in it. You know, it's he's called Arnold Strong in the movie. So I'm, that's what I'm really curious to see like whether I walk out of that movie feeling like I watch an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. So I can't wait to see and find out. Yeah, it's uh I mean one thing I'll say about it, it's like a lot of those early movies, it is mercifully short. For, yeah. for those of you out there if you haven't seen it or even if you have, I can't imagine you you had it queued up last week, but uh even if you did watch it, join us and uh 
<laughs> I think it's going to be a hell of a hell of a ride. Okay, so you can also, of course, contact us at our uh, website, uh, which is arniegeddon.com. Our Twitter is at arniegeddonpod, uh, as well as you can also email us at arniegeddonpod at gmail.com. You can download our podcast wherever quality podcasts are hosted, Stitcher, iTunes, the usual. Yep, and of course, leave a review for us. It helps us with downloads and getting better placement on the iTunes lists and all that sort of Stuff that I know you don't really care that much about, but it helps us a lot. Yeah, or if you have any suggestions or comments about our shows, um, leave those as well. Or you can uh, shoot us an email. You can reach me directly if you want to cut Cam out of the loop. Sure. Tony G at ArnieGeddon.com. Okay, and you can find me on Twitter at Cam V is Victor Victoria Smith. You can, of course, also find me on the Star Trek podcast subspace transmissions which is available all the same places as this podcast by the way i hope you're giving a, an arnie geddon plug at the end of every one of your subspace transmissions podcasts i do as of, well. course, of course so all of you from subspace transmissions welcome aboard yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay so we'll be back with hercules in new york slash hercules goes bananas <laughs> <laughs>